Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. My name is Chris. I get to serve as pastor on the team, and so glad that you decided to join us today. I'm really excited about what God has ahead of us. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How can he say that? Like in in an age like ours where we celebrate tolerance, like that's not PC. Who does he think he is? It's like just swinging like a baseball bat of truth, just kind of sharing it as it is. Who is Jesus that he could make a claim like that, a bold claim like that? Who is he that he could be so divisive? The fact of the matter is there are some of us who would like to swing that bat of truth with him, would we not? Then there are others of us who we want to run around and we want to protect all the beliefs in the shop because, well, they look nice and they make us or they make our friends feel good. And then there are others of us who we hear something like that and we really don't know what to make of it. We don't know how to process it. We don't really have a a box to put that in. We're trying to figure out what does he even mean by this? Because, I mean, this this doesn't look or sound like the, the hippie Jesus that maybe we see in the paintings at our grandparents' houses. And yet this is what Jesus said. We've said it all along. We'd actually be very hard-pressed to find a more controversial historical figure. He's the subject of the best-selling book of all time, the Bible. He's also the source of many a debate. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And throughout this series, as we've gone through the Gospel of John, an eyewitness account from one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, what we've seen is Jesus perform miracles and signs, wonders, demonstrating who he is. But then we've also heard him say some really nice things. Things like, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate in the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection in the life. And yet today, he says, I am the way in the truth in the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is that all about? What does it mean for those of us who are exploring faith in Jesus? We're not even sure if we want to be a Christian, let alone maybe even associated with Christians. And what does it mean for those of us who do call ourselves Christians? What are we supposed to do with this passage? You know, these are are good questions. They're tough questions. They're challenging questions. As I think about it, do you want to preach this message? That's okay. How about this? Let's, let's let Jesus do the heavy lifting on this one and see what he means when he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And see what it means for each of us in our own relationships with God. So if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 14. If you need a Bible, we've got some free ones on the table in the back. We'd love to give that to you as a gift. You can also follow along and take notes in our church app. When we hear Jesus quoted saying this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, we often hear it just like I said it to start off this message. We hear it completely out of context. 
It's as if someone's tweeting a bold statement to get some response. Or it's from somebody in a book or on a stage defending why they believe what they believe. But do you know something? When Jesus said this, he wasn't on a stage. He was actually around a table. He wasn't looking to be divisive in any way. He was looking to be inclusive, extending a crystal clear invitation to those with him, how they could know God, how they could have a life with him. Jesus wasn't trying to raise anxiety levels. He was trying to calm the disciples' fears. He was instilling confidence in them, not trying to confuse them. Jesus had a completely different deal in mind than when we come across this now quoted these days. You see, Jesus was really trying to invite people to have a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God, a relationship that you and I can have too. So as we jump in, I want to encourage you at the outset, you can know God, you can grow in a relationship with him, and I'm glad you're here today because today we're talking about how how you can experience that relationship. But as we get into it, let's pause, let's pray, and let's ask that Jesus speak to us here today. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it reveals who you are, and we thank you that we get to look at it together now. Would you please speak to us? Would you grow us in our relationships with God? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, as you may remember from the last message, we were in John 13, and it was the time in Jesus' ministry where he was in Jerusalem now about to be crucified. Him and his friends and followers, they were celebrating the Passover festival. They'd celebrated this every year, but this year was a special year. They didn't know it, but Jesus did, because this year, all the meaning, all the significance of the Passover festival was about to reach its pinnacle in what it actually meant, what God really wanted his people to understand. And Jesus knew all this. And he's talking to his disciples and he tells them, hey, I'm about to, I'm about to go and you don't know, you know where I'm going, but one day it'll all make sense. A bit of a buzzkill if you're around the table with a bunch of friends. But it sparked quite the discussion, and that's what we're going to see today. So picking up in verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Okay, Jesus did not come to smash anyone's belief. He was there affirming the disciples' belief. Like they believed in God, and, and Jesus celebrated that. They're on the right path. They're heading in the right direction. And... In celebrating their belief in God, what Jesus wanted his followers to know is that belief in him, belief in Jesus, and belief in God, they're intrinsically linked. You you can't have one without the other. They go together. And that's what he's showing them here. He continues, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Here, Jesus was actually alluding to the engagement process back then. It's a little different than it is today. You know, today, if a guy likes a girl and wants to marry her, he goes and talks to her dad and asks for his blessing and then proposes and then 
they or she, it depends on how the couple dynamic works, they plan this, this big celebration, reception, the whole deal. That's how it looks today. Back then, it looked a little different. If a guy wanted to marry a girl, he would go to the dad and he would bring a, a price or a gift for his daughter's hand in marriage. And then, once he got the father's blessing, he would actually go back to his father's house and what he would do is he would spend every waking moment building on an addition, a room for them to live in once they're married. And once that was completed, he would then head back, he would marry his bride, and they would return to the room that he built for them. This is the imagery that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, would have been thinking about when Jesus was talking about, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and we're going to go be there together. And this imagery, this marriage imagery is actually one of Jesus's favorite ways to talk about his relationship with the church. Jesus, the groom, the church, his bride. And right now, Jesus is preparing a room for us and he's going to come back. And when he does, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, tells us that we're going to get to celebrate the wedding feast of all wedding feasts, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we're going to be with him, and we're going to be with his Father in heaven. Now, this marriage imagery, it really reminds me uh, of my own, my own wedding. And when I got married, we were living here in Colorado, and Amanda and I wanted, on our honeymoon, we wanted to go somewhere with white sand and waves. So we picked Aruba. And as I look back, you know, nine plus years now, I look back on that experience, it could have been Alabama for all I care. Because when I think about it now, I don't really think a whole lot about the things that we did and where we were. I think about who I was with. Because marriage is really not about the, the place of the honeymoon. It's about the person you're with. That's why we married them after all, not for just a, a week vacation. But here's, here's something interesting. If I said that I married Amanda as a ticket to Aruba, you'd think I'm ridiculous. Yet many of us approach Jesus like he's a ticket to heaven. We just, we just want to get to heaven one day. And that makes sense. Heaven's going to be awesome. But if we just want heaven and we don't want Jesus, we're going to hate heaven. Because in heaven, we're going to spend a whole lot of time with Jesus. And it's going to be a blast. You see, what Jesus is communicating to his closest followers is that the destination is more than a place, it's a person. And because the destination is actually a person, not, not just a place, it requires a relationship, not a roadmap. This is what we see when he talks to Thomas. You see, Jesus concluded this whole illustration saying, you know the way to the place where I am going. And I appreciate Thomas because he like pumps the brakes. He needs more clarity. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is still hung up on the place. But he's missing Jesus' point. It's not about the place, it's about the person. And because the goal's a person, not a place, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship that Thomas needs, that we need. Not some roadmap. This is how you get there. I mean, check this out. It's here where Jesus says that famous line. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So with the goal being a person, the, the way is a relationship, and Jesus is all like, guys, I know God. If you want to know God, get to know me. I'm the way to God. If you want a relationship with him, have a relationship with me. He continues, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've spent so much time among you, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Do you feel a little bit what it felt like for Jesus? He just spent three years with Philip. Philip, of all people, should have got it. He's been with him from day one, following him. And yet here Philip is, not connecting the dots, that Jesus isn't just the way to God. Jesus is God. So if you want to know God, you got to know Jesus. And if, you know, the flip's also true here. If you, if you don't know Jesus, you actually don't know God the Father. I'll say it this way today. Know Jesus, know God. But if you don't know Jesus, just know God. Jesus is the way to God. Our search for the way forward, for truth, for life, it doesn't come through some roadmap, some set of directions. It comes through a person, Jesus. Now, maybe, maybe you've heard the word gospel before, but you don't really know what it means. That's okay. That, that makes sense. You know, you don't hear it in the classroom much. You don't use it when you're shopping at Costco. What is the gospel? Can I explain it very, very plainly, very clearly, so that you can at least know what the gospel is and then decide if you want to respond to it, you want to receive Jesus? You see, gospel simply means good news. That's all it means, good news. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the good news of Jesus. And here's what that good news is. You first have to understand kind of the backstory. And here's the backstory. We live in a world that's characterized by brokenness. I don't have to convince you of this. We all experience this. We see it in the headlines. We feel it. The wars, the disasters, illness, relational turmoil. We feel the pain of brokenness. And this actually wasn't God's original design. You see, God's original design was good. When he created the cosmos, it was good. It was very good. And he created us as people to have a relationship with him. That's what he created us to experience, a joy-filled, loving relationship. And yet, what we've all done is what Adam and Eve did. We turned our back on God. Instead of going his way and pursuing him, we choose to go our own way and do our own thing. And what that ultimately lands us in is this position of brokenness. Now, we don't want to live in brokenness. No one's like, oh, I woke up this morning. I was like, I want to have a really bummer of a day. Like, no one says that. So what do we do? Well, we try to get out of brokenness. We try things like religion and relationships. Maybe we try to numb the pain through Netflix or alcohol or something else. And all of these things, they might give us like temporary relief, but they're like bungee cords. They just snap us right back into this position of brokenness. 
And the problem with brokenness isn't just the pain that we feel now. It's that when we're apart from God, we're going to spend eternity apart from God. The Bible calls that hell, life apart from God. But God doesn't want brokenness to be our story either. And that's where Jesus enters the story. You see, God entered into our brokenness in the person of Jesus. That's, exactly, that's what he did. And not only did he enter into it, he solved the problem for us. You see, Scripture is very clear. The price for sin is death. That's just the price for sin. Jesus paid that price. He died on the cross. But he didn't stay dead. The whole story is that he rose three days later, and now he's offering us life, life with God. He bridges the gap between God's design and our problem. And now we, when we repent of our sin, when we, when we turn from it, when we turn to Jesus, and we accept his forgiveness, we believe that he is our Savior, he is our Lord, he's the one we're going to follow. When we turn to Jesus, we receive life. That's what we receive when we turn to Jesus. No longer does brokenness have to be our story. We can experience life with God like we were originally created to experience. There's something you got to know. If you haven't heard the gospel before, there are really only two types of people in the world. And I'm not talking boys and girls. I'm not talking Republicans and Democrats or even cat lovers and dog lovers. There are two types of people in the world. People who are connected with God, who have a relationship with him, and people who are still stuck in their sin and the resulting brokenness. And the question we have to ask all of ourselves, like a personal question that you have to ask yourself is, where am I? Like, do you have a relationship with God or don't you? I, I had to wrestle with that question. And when I was 14 years old, it, I was really wrestling with it. Because in all honesty, when I looked at people who had a relationship with God, my friends who went to church and the fr my friends who were at school who didn't go to church, they looked the same to me. There was like no difference in the way that they lived their life or any of that. And I thought, what's the point? The only difference I saw was my friends at school got to sleep in on Sundays. As a teenager, that seemed like a better option to me. But then my family went to a new church in town. And as I started to interact with the kids my age there, I started to see something different about them. They had a joy in them. They had a confidence about them that was so unlike my friends at school and so unlike me. And I wanted what they had. So like them, I decided to follow Jesus. Now, I remember way back when I was seven, praying the prayer in my bedroom with my mom before bed one night because I told her I did not want to go to hell. Now, it's true, but what I was realizing when I was 14 is the gospel is so much more than that. So much more than not going to hell and instead going to heaven. It's about a person. It's about a relationship. A relationship I wanted to be a part of. So, our church was a church plan. It was meeting in a hotel, and we had a Super Bowl party. And I didn't want faith to be just my parents' thing. I, I wanted to follow Jesus. This, this was my thing. This was, I was surrendering to him. So I got baptized in that hotel pool, telling everyone there, I'm with Jesus. That's my story. What's your story? Where are you? Like, are, do you have a relationship with God or are you still stuck in life of sin and brokenness apart from God?
Where are you? If you want to connect with God, connect with Jesus. That's the bottom line of all of this. You see, being God, Jesus is the way out of sin. He's the truth. He is the answer to our brokenness conundrum. He's the life. You see, in, in him, death has lost its sting. We, we'll, we have eternal life ahead of us with God, all because of Jesus. There was a gap between us and God, but Jesus bridged that gap. And now we can have a relationship with him. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul explains it this way. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. It's like landing your first adult job after college. It's not really what you know, it's who you know that really counts, that really matters. And while we don't do anything to earn this relationship with God, that's a free gift. Jesus is extending to that, that to us very freely, no strings attached. But as he continues, if we have a relationship with God, it should change how we live. And he explains how next. Verse 12 and following. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. Okay. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Like, what did Jesus do? Well, he came to seek and save the lost. He connected the disconnected to God, just like we looked at. I mean, Jesus performed signs and miracles. He taught about God. Then he laid his life down so that people could know God. And yet here he is saying that his followers are going to do even greater things than him. How could that ever be possible? Not to mention, the Christmas story tells us Jesus is, is, God, is Emmanuel, literally God with us. Jesus is God with us. I can't be God with us. You can't be God with us. Like, how are we ever going to do greater things than Jesus did? According to Jesus, it starts with asking for greater things. It sounds simple, but it starts with asking. You see, if we want to experience God move in a greater way, in our life, in the lives of those around us, in our region, if we want to see God do greater things, we've got to ask him to do greater things. We've got to pray first. We have to pray first because prayer is the difference between God's best and our best. And I don't know about you, but I'm done settling for my best. Like, I want God's best. I want to be a part of what he's doing. Not just in my family, but in my neighborhood, our city, in the front range. Now, the good news for all of us in this is that we're not left to do these greater things on our own. It starts with prayer. But then Jesus continues to explain how it goes down. Verse 15 now. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. 
Okay, what did Jesus promise? Jesus promised to send the Spirit of Truth, who we know as the Holy Spirit, our lead helper. Now, at risk of oversimplifying things, what Scripture teaches us is that, that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. You'll hear that around Christmas. It's actually what we're talking about this Christmas. Jesus is God with us. But here, Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God in us. I mean, listen to this. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Holy Spirit takes it to a whole nother level. God in us, sent by the Father, sent by the Son to empower us, to help us. And how does he help? That's what he explains next. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Man, that sounds a whole lot different than brokenness, doesn't it? He continues. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm going to come back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Just to summarize, Jesus is going back to the Father. He's going to prepare a place, and then he's coming back for the church, for us. And then we will experience the fullness of the relationship he's inviting us into. Because it's about a relationship, after all. It's about a person. So while we're going to be in heaven, it's about who we're with. We're going to be with God. We're going to be with Jesus in the fullest way. And... While we're still here, Jesus has some expectations of us. If we follow him, he expects us to follow him, to love like he loved, to obey his teaching. And he recognizes that this is hard. It's hard to carry out his mission. The world's not going to accept it. He knows it's hard. That's why he promises to send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help us, to empower us, to go before us. And you know what history confirms? History confirms that Jesus came through on that promise. What's so interesting is when Jesus, he, you know, shortly thereafter, he, he dies, he rises again, and then 40 days later, he ascends to heaven. Jesus impacted thousands in his time on earth, thousands, feeding over 5,000 and 4,000 another time. So many people were impacted by Jesus when he walked the earth. And yet, after he ascended to heaven, scripture records that 120 were left, that believed, 120. But do you know what that 120 did? They did what Jesus said and they prayed. And they prayed and they prayed. And a couple days later, the Holy Spirit came upon them. 
in an incredible way. Peter ended up preaching a message and over 3,000 people repented and were baptized that day. And you know what the church started to do then? They prayed for boldness, that they would share their faith. They prayed and they prayed. And you know what God did? 3,000 became 5,000. And then they lost track. Literally, Acts says just multitudes. As the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, impacting us today. From 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to multitudes. And here's the crazy thing that history also teaches us that any time since the first century that there has been a great awakening, there's been a, a revival of any kind, you know, there's been something behind the scenes that's preceded it. It's prayer. Prayer precedes revival. You see, if we want to experience God do greater things here today, here in the front range, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. And as a church, we pray big. We pray real big. We pray that one day everyone in the front range would have an opportunity to connect with God, the church, and their purpose. That's our prayer. That's our dream. We pray big, but church, we focus small. We focus so small. Because everyone matters to God. And everyone matters to us. So what does that look like? It looks like daily asking Him, God, would you give me someone to share your love with? Just give me someone to share your love with. And when... The opportunity arises because God loves to answer that prayer. We trust that the Holy Spirit's going to give us the words to say, to listen, to love, to share about Jesus. Everyone matters to God. So we're going to focus on the one right in front of us. We're going to love them like Jesus loved us. You, you matter to God. You matter to us too. And if you want to connect with God, if you want to grow in a relationship with Him, Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So to connect with God, connect with Jesus. Let me pray. God, you are so good. Thank you that we are no longer stuck in our sin, our brokenness. We are we don't not we no longer have to live apart from you. You made a way. Because Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Through you, we get to know the Father. Thank you for this. Thank you for not leaving us in our sin. Thank you for forgiving our sin. Thank you for showing us grace and mercy. We celebrate you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.